1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I've got a great guest. Uh, his name is Daniel Fells. F-E-L-S. F-E-L-S. Uh, he's been um, working in science for many years. He's uh, currently developing his own laboratory and his own independent research. Uh, his laboratory is going to be called the Biophysical Cell Communication Lab. It's, uh, it's in progress, but doesn't stop him from doing his own research. He's authored a number of publications that talk about um, an additional form of cell-to-cell communication, where cells appear to use uh, light to communicate. So we'll get into that. And uh, Daniel, thank you for coming. How are you doing?
2: I'm fine. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you about my topic. Hello, Richard.
1: Yeah. So tell me, um, how did you first imagine or observe or think that cells could communicate using light?
2: Ah, you need to know that actually, I, I was reading books and I came across such stories very early, where I still didn't know what it actually means. But um, I, it, it all began in '99 when a friend told me that DNA is emitting laser light. That sounded to me very crazy, mm. but I curious, and I began to look for the people. That do this kind of research, and while doing this, I came across of papers, publications published in the twenty, of the last century, that cells are able to communicate electromagnetically with each other. This is actually how it started, and this was awakening my interest in in a, such a profound way that I wanted to do my own experiments.
1: So. The fact or the idea that cells, um, well, the DNA of cells emit laser light. Again, you thought that was crazy, which sounds understandably crazy, but you yeah. were fascinated by the idea that cells maybe could communicate using light.
2: Exactly, exactly. You know that lays that DNA emits laser light. I wouldn't underline this today. You know, but I think what is no, I do not think it's just a fact, an observational fact that cells do emit light in the visible range but not only in the visible range, also microwave or infrared and even radio waves. And, and my interest was less in what are the sources in the cells that allow the emission of light And also, my interest was less on what are the receiving parts in a cell. My interest was whether they can really use electromagnetic waves to signal to each other. And in order to find out more about this, one has simply to separate cell populations with a glass barrier from each other this disables chemical communication and exactly this is how I began my experiments, separating cell populations with a glass barrier.
1: How come you didn't want to look at um you know what was happening in the cell to generate the communication or to receive it or interpret it? Is it just too much of a task to try to do all of that? And the first thing needs to be proof that it actually even happens, or what was your thinking?
2: Yeah, I mean there are two answers to this. Um, One answer is that you need a methodology to investigate such questions. And um, my education uh, led me into another direction. During my studies, I became interested in behavioral biology. And a lot of animal behavior has to do with signaling and with communication. So you can say my brain was kind of focused on this type of questions therefore uh, less of interest in the source and receiving part but a primary interest whether this phenomenon occurs at all first
1: of all you know so what uh, what does your experimental setup look like and you know then we'll get into some of the observations
2: yeah it's actually a very simple setup um i'm using little wilds we can call it we can call it little aquariums they have two and a half centimeter by two and a half and they are four centimeters in height and it's like a little glass tank and then i have even smaller glass tank which i can neatly place into the bigger one so you can imagine that you have a little tank that stands in a bigger tank but all of them are very small and in each of them I have a medium, liquid, water, with some feeding food for the cells I'm working with. And I do have this in both wilds. And as a control, I have the same setup, but in one wild there is only medium, but no cells. And this other setup serves as a control. Was that clear enough?
1: Yeah, so, okay, so... You have these two little, I'll just call them little fish tanks or aquariums. And what are you putting in them? What kind of uh, you know,
0: bacteria or creatures are growing in?
2: Yes. Um, my study organism, its Latin name is Paramecium caudatum. It is quite a huge cell. It's an organism that lives unicellular. So it's one cell, that's the whole organism. And they have zero... Um, to 0.3 millimeter in length which is actually huge for cells and therefore it's very simple to count the number of these cells under a binocular so I'm working with them it's a famous organism used worldwide for different types of studies and and when they are in a tank there are also some bacteria there they feed on bacteria and and when they have fed enough, they have enough material in their body to double them, to make a so-called cell division. And it's actually, this is my indicator for effect. Whether having neighbors or not has an influence on cell division rate. Because the very early studies in 1923 indicated that cells can have an influence on cell division rates in an other group of cells, but the signal is not chemically transmitted, most probably. It was at that time called a radiation. Today, we call it an electromagnetic wave.
1: So, how can you observe the paramecium? Uh, can you use a a camera set up with, um, you know, two or uh, four times magnification, or do you need a microscope to see them?
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, actually, it's it's very simple. I put the whole um, the whole setup um, is during during the period of an experiment in a black box, in a literal black box. So I keep them all these pairs of aquariums, as you called them, before I keep them in a black box for two days, for forty eight hours before I place them. I know how many cells are in each tank, and then when I take them out, I count them. And then with that, counting them under a a binocular, I can deduce what the effects of having had a neighbor were.
1: Why not set it up where you have um, a camera or two cameras that watch each of the aquariums from the side? No. And then uh, see them interact.
2: No, I do I do not have this. And you wouldn't see anything. You wouldn't see anything with a camera. And what I realized, I have to tell you this, this is important, you know, these cells would not show effects on each other if there were light. I, I cannot really explain why this is so, but on the light conditions, I do not find these effects. So the phenomenon seems to be a kind of a very weak phenomenon but occurs under the conditions of my experiment. And we have to be aware that we, we are doing here basic research. There's not so much we know about electromagnetic cell communication.
1: So you can't directly observe no. the uh, electromagnetic uh, being no. passed between the cells? So, so what happens? No. You count the cells, you put them in pitch darkness for 48 hours, Yes. you pull them out and then you count them again?
2: Yeah, I count them again. I can give you an example. I can give you an example. You know, I have in the outer tank, let's say I have 100 cells. And in the inner tank, I have five cells. Then I ha- then the two are, t- are together for two days in darkness. And at the end of that period, I take them all out and count how many they are. I have controls. In these controls, I have 100 cells outside and zero inside or five cells inside and zero outside. And this allows me then statistically to find out whether having had a neighbor or not would affect cell division rate. And it does. I did several experiments where I could show that neighbors affect growth either by inducing growth or hindering growth slightly. And other effects were that the cells were eating more or they were eating less. That, these were the first results which I could publish in PLOS in 2009. And, and these were the results that made me sure that I'm on a way to discover a little bit more about electromagnetic cell communication.
1: So, yeah, what happened specifically when there was uh, the 100 on the outside and 5 on the inside tank? What did you observe after two days, for instance?
2: Yeah, it depended on the material I was using. But let me let me before I tell you what the results were, I would like you to know that I had not a particular expectation about the effect. The, I had only one question: Is there an effect, and will I find it? That was so. It was a little bit peculiar when there was a quartz separation. The hundred cells had a reducing effect on cell division rates on the five cells. And when there was a glass barrier, then it was the other way round. The five cells inside had an inducing effect on cell growth in the hundreds outside. I did not really know how to interpret these data, but I would like to tell you something about the two different glass barriers I was using. Because I used two different glass barriers, and one of them being a filter for UV waves. And uh-huh. the, literature, the literature was telling that the effective range is UV. I thought that glass would be a filter, not, meaning that there would be no effects when I have a glass separation. And the first surprise was there was an effect. And the next surprise was that the effects were just differently when i had glass or quartz separation but still i didn't know what that means then i was looking at all results and and i thought quartz separation is more is closer to the natural conditions than glass separation why because quartz allows all electromagnetic waves to be transmitted from one side to the other and that and this is closest to the natural situation when these cells are together, wherever they are, there is no glass barrier between them. So I was looking at quartz separation and then I saw that with quartz separation, there was, there was a pattern. There was always the same pattern. The bigger population had a reducing effect in cell division rates on the smaller population. So that, that, that was a pattern. And with that pattern, I could formulate now a first question, you know, the question was not anymore is there any effect from one population on the other but the question was now has it to do with the regulation of the density of these cells then i made an experiment where i tested exactly for that and and that these results i could also publish in scientific reports and i'm quite happy because it's it's a nice place to publish in scientific reports and it's a nice result because there was an indication that the more cells there are, the more is the, the bigger is the reducing effect on cell division in a neighbor tester population. And why is this so, interesting?
1: Yes? So for a given volume, you tested yes. more and more cells, thereby making it more dense in between each cell. And the yes. more dense it was for the outer population... Yes, you're thinking that that signaled the inside population, which was at constant density for each experiment, to grow slower because the outside exactly. population was telling the inside: it's too cramped in here, don't grow." I,
2: I, um, I agree. Uh, no, uh, wait, yes, what you said is perfectly right, but you are already slightly interpreting it, and I, I would like, I would like to step a little bit back and say this: um, this. The dense population, and this is what I assume, is electromagnetically regulating its own density. Uh, Whether they know that there are a few cells in the inner tank or not, I have no idea. But if the bigger population, the outside population, communicates electromagnetically whatever about density, the signals, of course, go into The tank with the smaller population and they receive the signal, make less of cell divisions. This is how I interpret it. I'm not saying the bigger population is telling the smaller one grow less. The bigger is telling within itself, we are many, we have to stop growing. And this is electromagnetically organized. That's my interpretation of the results.
1: I see what you mean. Okay. And how much slower... Have you seen the interpopulation grow, or how much faster, for instance?
2: Oh, um, the exact number numbers are now not in my head, but it might be that you know on the high density condition they were still growing, but on the low density condition in the neighborhood there, there were many, maybe twice as many as in the in the other case. So it's not a tremendous effect, but it is an effect, and it was the first paper actually. That gave an indication for an electromagnetic population density regulation. Terrible title, but that's what it is.
1: Mm. Um, Did you reverse the situation and have uh, a lot of cells in the inner chamber and a few on the outside and see if you had the same effect?
2: Yeah. um, In that case, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. One can do that, Um, but... I just, I just sticked to that design, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a good idea. One can do that. And, and, you know, as I'm working alone, it's quite an extensive work to make such experiments, many repetitions. And so I, I, I'm less interested whether in an inverse situation, the effect occurs again. I'm quite sure it would. If I have one day a group of people that does this work, then we can we can do all kinds of testings in this direction. First of all, I was only interested whether I'm thinking in in, in the way, the effect, or whether I'm thinking in the correct way that allows me to understand what the function of this electromagnetic signaling is. And with that experiment, I was happy happy enough that I didn't felt a need to to do it in a different way.
1: It yeah, is because the- I, I could see instead of um, having the two tanks concentrically around each other, mm-hmm. what if they were just next to each other? They just share a wall, and you have A and B next to each other. Would that change the dynamic of it? And in, in A, there's you know 100 cells, and in B, there's five cells.
2: Yeah yeah um I still have to do this you know the the beauty about this is that the surrounding of the inner tank by the outer tank is is a 100% surrounding so they are really in the midst of of whatever communication is um is done by the outer population when i have them when i have them side by side You can say that there is a 75% of loss of of light that goes into the the other directions than the the two walls that are attached to each other. But in the future, I will do that um, because 100 cells can have different effects on neighboring cells depending on the number of the neighboring cells. I, I obtained results where 100 cells would push cell division if there were only one cell placed in the inner tank. That one cell grew much better than a single cell without neighbors. While when there are already a few cells in the inner tank and there are 100 cells surrounding them, then the effect is opposed to that one. They reduce cell division rates. And my question is, In a a future experiment where I have three tanks, side by side by side, I would have in the middle 100 cells, to the left, one cell, and to the right, five. And here my interest is whether these 100 cells, on the one hand, reduce cell growth in the five cells, and on the other hand, push cell division rates there where there is only one cell, or whether the 100 cells only go in a kind of interaction with one of the two neighbors. Each result would be interesting to learn more. But that's a future experiment. I haven't done that yet.
1: Well, what about from the uh, less dense cells telling the more dense cells, go ahead and grow? Is there, you know, I don't know, is there an, uh, an authority that's created... By the number of cells as well. Like, what if you had um, fifty in the inner and hundred on the outer? Yeah, it's the, a- the hundred on the outer, as compared to a control group, would would reproduce faster because maybe the fifty on the inside are telling the outer grow faster, and the outer are telling the inner grow slower. <laughs> that would.
2: It's it's very interesting. You know, I, I'm telling you, I love these questions. I love these thoughts. But unfortunately, yes, I'm an independent researcher, but my time, the time that is available to me is a little bit restricted. And um, it's it's an interesting thought, you know, to go more into a dialogue, what they are doing. Again, it's time consuming. And and if I had a group of researchers, then each one could make different experiments in that direction. My interest was how to... Con- um, How to continue, you know, was on the one hand, whether this signal has a meaning meaning only within a species or also across the species border. So I was taking different organisms in the outer and inner tank and just wanted to know whether they also have an effect on each other. So I took rotatoria, which is a worm-like, very small organism, consists in about 1,000 cells and is only slightly bigger than a paramecium. And and the results were just indicating that they can affect each other. The worms can affect the unicellular paramecium and vice versa. I was only interested whether there is an effect across the species border because That's what some people claimed in the thirties and forties, that there were such effects. And, and, um, I didn't, I didn't go on with that. I would like to stay within paramecia. And, um, I had, I had a result that was very astonishing. And this is where I will continue the experiments that when there is mortality, In a high dense population, so when they are dying during the two days, not totally, not down to zero, but let's say I place in in the little tank 300 cells and two days later I count 220, so about 80 were dying. That's what I mean by mortality. So when there was mortality, then there was not a reducing effect on the small inner population but the opposite and it was even correlated in a fascinating way the more that had died in the big population during these two days the more the five cells inside grew and this is interesting it is as if they perceive death on the other side and i call that for myself death compensation just to have a term this is the kind of experiment i will pick up in the future to find out whether this is really so because I had not tested for it. It was a side observation of an experiment and now I will test with for that.
1: What about um, if you put two populations there and they're equal, but you give one food and you give one no food for a day. I mean, you can do that.
2: I could do that. It's, it's interesting to think along these lines um, it's not so easy because when they have no food, they will die. And and then you cannot say that those with cells have a detrimental effect. Uh, sorry, those 100 cells that got food had a detrimental effect on those that didn't get food because not getting food
1: is already a problem. How long does it take for the paramecium to die if they don't have food, for instance?
2: Oh, it's no problem in a week and less
1: well, if you did it for like two days, you know food, no food, equal population numbers, I'm yeah. wondering if the if the ones that had no food would tell the other ones that had food don't grow even though uh, they had food you know
2: <laughs> okay, I get the point <laughs> it's yeah. inter- it's interesting it's really interesting, yeah, I like the idea could be I cannot predict see i I'm uh, I do not understand enough of the system to make big predictions. Um, I'm, I'm just testing for the effect and publishing it so that scientists can take the phenomenon serious. This is not storytelling. There's really something going on and, and cells are not just a package, a well-organized package of molecules, of chemicals. There is more going on in cells. There are electric beings as well. They have electrostatic and electromagnetic fields. And and my motivation is just to make a few good experiments that nicely demonstrate that there is something non-chemical going on between cells and that this is most probably an electromagnetic system of communication
1: what about uh, you said uh, when they are exposed to light this doesn't happen like, what happens if you just have this set up sitting there in the lab on the counter you know for two days do you observe anything
2: no i wouldn't observe the effect of light is is almost dramatically you know it it quickly it can quickly disturb The results. I was astounded by that. You know, I have I I had an experiment where where I was looking at feeding rates, and in order to to see how much they feed, you need to prepare the cells, which takes time. So you, you, you have to kind of kill them, fixate them, and then count them with a microscope. So each pair of cells that I took out of the black box. I needed about 20 minutes to get that all done, to get the numbers of how much they were eating. And um, always when I took a pair of aquariums, as you called them, when I took a pair out of the black box, there came a little bit of light into the black box. Not much and only shortly. But the amazing thing was that the first pairs I've taken out all showed an effect the last pairs, however, didn't show any more an effect. So the impact of external light is, um, I could say, dramatic with regard to my experiment. Yeah, it was almost immediate, and and this brings us to a critical point, you know, because um, these cells, under natural conditions, I would say, never experience such a total darkness as in the conditions of the experiment however in a pitch dark night deep on the on the on the ground of a pond it might be as dark as in these as under my uh, experimental conditions it might be so this makes the whole experiment on one hand even more interesting because if if we allow us to think that these cells never experience the conditions they experience under my experimental situation, then why should there be such an organized result? It's not a stochastic result. It has a structure.
1: And well, therefore- I think that uh, I mean, if, if these things are hanging out in a pond at night, I mean, it, it sounds like a backup form of communication. At night, it would be dark. And maybe yeah. at night, there's no predators. For instance, and then they can communicate this way, and you know, worry about dividing. But in the daytime, they have to worry about not being eaten or eating themselves, and maybe that takes precedence.
2: Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. It might be a night communication, but even in the night, you know, there are photons around from moonlight and stars, and and I had I got a feeling from experiments I made that a little bit of light already can do it. But I agree with what you say. It makes sense and it's quite possible that it's a night strategy. If, if we allow us to think that, that already a little bit of external light doesn't allow this communication, then we are looking at a system that cannot have evolved on the conditions of what we call natural selection. And that makes, it, that makes it also interesting to me. I believe that the cell internally internally within a cell that the organization of keeping the order upright within a cell is not just driven by chemicals that meet each other and ATP, the the so-called battery of the cells, is delivering enough energy to do it. I believe that the electromagnetic fields play an organizing role in the whole life processes, and when it's dark enough, then the, the different neighboring cells kind of connect with their internal organizing principle among each other.
1: I guess, it, I mean to me, it's an adaptation. You know, it's another way to communicate. Again, it may be backup. It just may be in certain conditions. Mm-hmm. But you could also wonder, well... If a lot of the time they're exposed to, you know, ambient light, why not uh, communicate with light, but just a type of light that they don't normally get in ambient conditions, you know, a different wavelength, so that they can communicate all the time, no matter the outside condition, the outside light condition. Yes, yes. Why it's, not it's, do that? But,
2: you know. it's really possible. You know what? What I understand about cells is that's also, um. Maybe something we should note here is that cells cannot avoid to be electric. The the majority of all their molecules have charged surfaces. So there's a lot of electrostatics going on. And second, when charged structures move rhythmically, let's say when they oscillate, an oscillating charged particle already emits an electromagnetic wave. And further, chemical reactions can either need energy or the products contain less energy than the chemicals that reacted together with each other leading to that product. And the energy difference is then an electromagnetic wave. So so there are electromagnetic waves and and it's actually... Rather surprising if we think that the cells would not use this, or even stronger, would be able to avoid being affected by those electromagnetic fields that they generate during their internal processing.
1: That's true. I mean, yeah, the cell is um, metabolizing mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, like you said, its membranes are charging and
0: yes. polarizing,
1: depolarizing. Yes, so it makes you wonder if another cell could recognize and read what's going on in, in its in its brother or sister cell and recognize yep. those pulsations and that you know that rhythmic changing of potentials and I don't know what that would tell it but uh, you yeah. probably tell it I guess the degree of metabolism and a whole bunch of other things yeah? hmm.
2: that's exactly what i believe that's exactly what i believe and the thing is that there's there's not yet a lot of attention on this phenomenon the the in biology or in life sciences in general there's a, there's a focus on chemicals of course they exist of course they are effective i'm right. certainly denying that i'm not stupid i mean when i stand on the weighing machine i'm weighing the sum of all of my molecules of course they are and they are effective they are hormones etc etc what i'm just saying is that in addition to this material that has weight there is a weightless component, and that's the electric field. And this field plays, plays a significant role in cell dynamics. And as you said, I fully agree, this can also be perceived by a neighboring cell. And 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 then the step to understand that there could be a communication system that includes the use of electromagnetic waves, that's a very small step. And actually, I'm just trying to show that this really exists, that they really can connect across a glass barrier. I say again, very carefully, most probably using electromagnetic waves, but certainly not chemicals because they cannot trespass the glass barrier.
1: Right. right. What about if um, two neighboring cells were able to feel the shape and the change of shape of the neighbor's electric fields? maybe that's a way of communication without having to exchange any photons i don't know
2: i mean what you are referring to is is something uh, that's not what i'm doing in my experiments which doesn't matter I'm Good, of course and richard funk for example he published a paper um where he can show that in embryology when an embryo develops That first of all, on the surface of the embryo, there are different charges, plus or minus charges on the one hand. And on the other hand, some of the cells in the developing embryo, they they do not stay on the place where they appear due to a cell division, but they start migrating. And they could observe that the cells themselves are polar, so one part is plus charged and the other end of the cells is negatively charged. And then it's these charges off on the surface of the embryo and on the surface of the migrating cells that attract each other. So the electric field or the electrostatic field seems to play a very significant role when embryos begin to organize themselves.
1: Mm. And how would the cells know how to configure themselves in such a way? Where does that plan come from that says be polar in this way, positive here, negative here, and you know, so that the cells can migrate to the right spot, the right orientation, and everything?
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, the plan of all of it. I think that's the most. uh, Here, I'm. I'm very, very. How to say? I'm very humble in saying anything. You know. I'm I'm humble in saying there is a plan. I'm humble in saying I know where the plan is. I'm humble right. in saying this cannot be the plan. I must confess that that to me the whole developmental process is really enigmatic, which, however, doesn't mean that we do not know a lot about it. We know that if certain genes are not switched on, the process stops. <clears throat> That's, that's okay, but that's not answering what is giving form to the organism. It's just saying that if the brickstones lack, you cannot construct the house. It doesn't, it, 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 the lacking brickstone is not an explanation of, regarding the architecture of the house. And, and I, I only think this, that the electrostatic fields play a role in the organization but the plan is difficult sometimes i have a feeling that there's just a rolling planning it starts in a particular way following certain rules and if if you just follow these rules then there is an organism at the end but this is this is not a scientific explanation i fully okay. agree you know it's just giving proof to what i said in the beginning I do not know how this is organized, to be
1: honest. So what? why is it, I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a. I love science, but I don't have a lab and I'm not a scientist. Like, To me it doesn't seem like a big deal, like why does it take so much time and effort for you to do more experiments? Like what, what takes so much time and effort to do this? It seems like, I don't know, again it's an ignorant comment, but why couldn't you do a whole bunch more experiments? What, what takes so much time?
2: Oh. <clears throat> Because I'm earning my money as a teacher, I don't have so much extra time, and 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 this is the major reason. Okay. I'm I'm some I'm sometimes simply tired, you know, and and um, I, I'm doing it all alone. And over the last years, what I could do is just and about this, I'm very happy. I could publish some results that that of course haven't been published. So year by year, in fifteen a book appeared that uh, I edited together with two friends. In 16, um, I could publish a paper that showed effects across the species border. In 17, I could publish a paper um, on, on the population density effects. And in 18, I could publish an essay, which is called The Double Aspect of Life. And what I just see is that people are interested in it. And I hope that others start doing these experiments i'm not you know and and um so to answer your question why i'm not making more experiments they are time consuming because i have to make many repetitions Uh, i need all my attention when i do them and and i I just sometimes do not find the spare time anymore because there's too much other work i have to do and then i find the extra bit of energy I need. I hope, again, here I repeat myself, that other people start doing these very, very simple experiments. And this this could be the case. And that's my wish and my desire, you know, that other people recognize I do my very best to give good evidence that there is a phenomenon and to work with the fields of the cell that's a field in biology that, that has been glaringly neglected over the last decades. And I think it deserves our shared attention. And by shared attention, I mean the attention of molecular biologists and, and bioelectrically interested biologists and maybe also physicists and engineers mm. to discover the elect, trick body that we are in the end of, at the end of the day.
1: So, um, what's been the reception from the papers you put out there and, and the research, you know, in the scientific community Do most people say, eh, sounds all right and move on or are they excited or what kind of responses do you get?
2: <clears throat> the kind of responses I have is for example, the 2009 paper in PLOS. Is now over thirty thousand times clicked, or the the double aspect of life has soon three thousand clicks about one and a half year after its publication. So it's the clicks that are an indication. Uh, if you compare the clicks with other papers, you you can see that this is a little bit or a lot above average. The plus paper is about three to four times above average. Then I have a platform. On ResearchGate and on ResearchGate, I can, I can read how many people went on ResearchGate to download one of my papers. So I'm, I'm, I'm often visited there. That's another indicator. And then there are other indicators, which I, I I wouldn't, uh, I, I, I do not give too much of weight because once you are kind of in the radar, you uh, that's that's with a few good publications then you get all the time invitations as a speaker to conferences and also con- every week i have an invitation for a conference every week i receive an invitation to write an article in a journal but to be honest to be honest you know very often the topic of the conference has nothing to do with my topic the topic of the paper has the journals has nothing to do with my topic and as there is today, everything open access, you know, it's business. It's business. When you publish an article today, you do it open access. And if it costs not so much, it's $600. If it costs a lot, it's $2,500. So it's a business system also for the journals. And, of course, they are writing every day 1,000 emails around the planet. Uh, okay. You know, so, so that's not an indication it's only an indication that I'm in the radar. Um, but again, that people click and look at my works, uh, this is evident and gives me, gives me the feeling, together with all my other friends that work in a related way to what I'm doing or less related way, I have a feeling that, that there is no way to avoid in the future the fact that cells use their electrostatic and electrodynamic fields for the inner organization. There's no way to avoid this. If it takes 10 more years, okay, but this understanding will come. And and in the near future, I'm absolutely convinced that we find these informations in textbooks, school textbooks, and and, um, student textbooks in life sciences, biology, and so on. there I'm convinced.
1: Yeah, a question occurred to me. How would you even know where in a gene or which, you know, I'm just going to give an example. So if you assume that genes code for everything, where, where is the gene that codes for, like, the morphology of how an embryo grows? You know, where is the gene or genes that code for how to conduct cell processes to set up electric fields in a certain way and direction and intensity? to create a mm. communication system for the cell or to direct its own operations like how would mm. you even find such a thing
2: mm. yeah that's a fantastic question i think that's one of the deepest questions we can ask to life and and then um, you know the the before evolutionary theory occurred the term evolution actually was reserved for development of organisms and mm. And um, that was really a question, you know, how does an organism evolve from a fertilized egg to a, to a fully grown organism, being a tree or, or a butterfly or a man or a giraffe? And... Um, um, I've been reading a book of Richard Levantine, The Thri- Triple Helix. I think he published this in the late 90s. I'm not sure, but an excellent book. And he was a evolutionary and developmental biologist of high caliber, well-known, reputated man, a good scientist, definitely. And um he makes, in the introducing chapters, he makes exactly aware about this most profound and deep question you were just asking before. What gives form? How, what is the plan? How is this organized? And, and he said that we, we stopped asking that question once we became aware that there are genes. That's now 1860, 70 Mendel, that there are gene mutations. Now we are in the early twenties. That that the, that the the genetic code is on the DNA. Now we are in the in the late fifties and sixties, and in the seventies, um, gene regulation occurred, and 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 of course this took a lot of attention, and it's fantastic how much we discovered, but we lost the question. Mm. We thought that genes giving answers to all the questions we had in the past, and that's wrong. We have in our body uh, roughly, roughly uh, uh, 23,600 genes, and they allow the production in combination of, uh, of two genes sometimes, the production of more than 30,000 enzymes. And of these 30,000 enzymes, about 10,000 are active in every cell, 24 hours the whole day. And, and how this is organized... I think it's uh, it's pre- it's almost pretentious to claim that one would understand how this is possible. It's pretentious, yeah. but I, I'm not not being pretentious. I just cannot cannot imagine that all the molecules that are on their way to be part of the cell organizations that they randomly bang correctly into each other. To, to deliver the, the required products, I believe that there is an organizing principle within this that helps. That helps um, bringing the right material together, and these are the fields. Right. So I'm just going a little bit into into the direction of answering your question, but only humbly and a little bit that i believe looking at molecules only this will never never deliver a uh, a satisfying answer but adding what is really there electric electrostatic and electrodynamic fields adding this to molecules we 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 can feel it a little bit better i would like to make a simple analogy galileo was looking at the planets and realized that they move around the sun. So there's a movement and the term solar system uh, arised. It works only because there's apart from the material, the planets, the matter and the sun, the billions of tons of matter. It only works because there is also gravitational force mm. and together the field, the gravitational field together with the matter of the planets together they play a game which we call the solar system or the solar system dynamics. Similarly, but millionfold more complex, is what is going on within a cell. There are molecules, they are charged, this produces fields, and the fields feed back on the molecules. And together, this creates a game cell dynamics. And if you are looking for the plan or the the organizing principle, we first of all, that's what I believe, have to look at this, allow me to call it a pair, matter and field. We first have to see how that pair plays and dances with each other. And I think then we might be a step closer to this biggest enigma of life.
1: That's great. Um as you step through the chronology and you know how we came to look at genes and then assume mm-hmm. that their regulation and action you know governs everything, mm-hmm. what do you notice? I mean, it, it sounds like you've read papers from scientists from the 30s and 40s and maybe even further back. What do you mm-hmm. notice? How have scientists changed themselves? Have they become afraid to experiment and think their ideas? Of the, you know, do you see that? Um, you know, for instance, neo-Darwinism and the current thought is, is channeling people and making them stay inside narrow courses and not go out and think outside of the box or think these things. I mean, what what do you see is happening to science itself over the past hundred years or so?
2: And yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. And I, I, I try to be humble in my answer, you know, because it's, it's pretentious to claim I know what happened over the last hundred years. But... I I've, I've uh, I was listening to a TED talk by a philosopher of science and he said the reason, okay, it's very dramatic. He says that our societies are in a decline. And he says one of the reasons is that the crazy figures that may occur or appear in universities, these crazy figures are not held but thrown out. Mm. So the out-of-the-box thinking people they are not held like a jewel, but they are kicked out. So it is it's it is as if there is a kind, of, let me put it like that, you know, certain thoughts and dogmas and theories, they almost become religious. Like this is what we look at. This is what it is. Either you do it or you do not end. Yeah. And, and, and so, for example, when I was studying biology and I, highly appreciate my teachers and i'm greatly thankful to them and i really mean what i say i really mean that but there were never real discussions about could it all be different than how we explain it to each other and if so how would we need to look at life to find out whether it's different this type of question never occurred and then it's also how to say you know um very quickly, very quickly you are called a vitalist, someone who believes in a kind of a life force. And the moment you are called a vitalist, um, <laughs> you are already kind of how do you say that? Cast away, you are already out I of the system. System. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 and and what I'm talking about with these fields, this is not vitalism. Uh, in, in a sense of there is a life force, because I wouldn't know what that life force is. I can believe it for myself if I want to, but I wouldn't know what it is within the cell. But when I say there are charges and energies that we can measure that really exist, and we don't call them life forces, we simply call them electrostatic fields and electrodynamic fields, they can be measured, they are, thousandfold demonstrated and um, why people are not looking at this i do not know there are some simple sentences like never give up a running horse so if you if you get a chance as a professor with a particular theory where uh, which you kind of mastered the theory and the experiments that go along with it why should you change because the moment you change you become a student again you you have to maintain <laughs> yeah you understand you have to maintain kind of your position and and to be a professor today that's a hard job it's a hard job yeah. sometimes sometimes uh, uh, i almost have pity for them because there's so much they need to do you know and and then you cannot i think you cannot handle the situation that that because when you think in fields, it's another way of thinking. You even need to learn to think differently than from conventional thinking where you're often asking for a receptor that responds when there is a contact with a chemical And then there is a chemical cascade that goes down to the DNA and this leads to a gene expression and the enzyme that is produced then produces a molecule, which is the response to the chemical signal that came in. It's all beautiful. I don't say this is stupid, not at all, but also a particular way of thinking. But when you start to think in waves that are non-local, that are extremely fast, and can, can, can also contribute to the organizing of a cell, then you need to learn to think differently and to ask differently. And that's an effort. So that's one, one thing that happened to science. Another thing could be that, I have to say it, the pharmaceutical industry is interested in molecules and not in fields, because molecules you can sell and science also needs to be financed so it is possible that that's part of the answer. Yeah. Why do why we still do not look at the fields of the cell? And there might be other reasons. It's technically not so easy to to in a femto in a femtoliter of volume, you know, to look for these fields. It's not easy. It's a difficult task.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's true imagine what uh, the cells of our body are doing inside our body how many ways they're communicating <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it's amazing it's amazing but look even when we communicate i mean i mean in an analogous way when we sit in front of each other how many languages are actually used simultaneously you know we look at the body gestures we look at the skin color we look at the height of the voice high, deep, low, breath. The pitch, yeah. yeah, all these things. And then we also listen a little bit what the other one says.
1: But yeah, that's, come- that's, it's that's funny. In, in physics, you know, there's dark matter and dark energy and they contribute, but they comprise the vast majority of, of supposedly what's going on. And yeah. then in, in, you know, let's say in biology, mm-hmm. it seems like, again, there's just a gigantic dark component that we don't see that probably comprises most of what's going on. You know, like you talked about the electric fields, for instance. And then in, you know, human communication, like you just said, the words are one part of it, but the dark part of it is the pitch, the tone, the, you know, the visual cues, the body language. I mean, it's, it's funny. It just seems like that happens at every level. There's this huge component that's unseen to us normally, you know, that's there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when we look, when we look uh, also with the open eyes of a child into the world, you know, when we don't fix what we perceive by our thoughts, when our thoughts do not become a filter uh, for what we allow the world to be, but when we are just open minded with open senses, we, we, so- we sometimes get that feeling that there is more going on on the planet. And I just wish to encourage everybody. Who has that feeling, you know? First of all, to take oneself serious, but also to be a bit critical and skeptical, you know, not just believing anything, but with curiosity discovering who we are and and what the world around us consists in in total.
1: Mm. Well, Daniel, very good. I I really appreciate you coming. Um, if you want people to contact you, what what is a way they can do that? Do you want to give email, or you just want to you know have this interview out there so that people can think about what you said I and mean, what do you prefer
2: um, uh, you are asking me how people can contact
1: me, yeah, if you want them to do so, it's
2: up to you, you know. i mean it's not easy sorry, it's not difficult to find me you You google my name and cells and you come to researchgate and there is a possibility to get in contact with me or you just give them uh, um, my, my email address. They can contact me. It's no problem.
1: Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very good. I, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast.
2: Wonderful. So thank you very much for your questions, your interest and giving me an opportunity to explain a little bit how I see the world and what I would love to see in the future going on in biology very
0: good. you're listening to the future tech podcast with richard jacobs future technologies such as artificial intelligence stem cells 3d printing gene editing bitcoin blockchain the microbiome quantum computing virtual reality and exploring space are much closer than you might think in fact many early versions of these technologies are in play right now please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.